Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. Pod Control is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to another episode of the PodCTL Podcasts. Good to be back again this week. I know last week we were off, uh, got a little bit busy with some some regular work stuff, but good to be back. And we will have a number of shows coming up for you in the next couple of weeks. So a lot of new, exciting stuff coming out. We're starting to hit uh, the springtime part of the season. We're seeing some new technology announcements. We're seeing some some new things within the Kubernetes community, and everybody's kind of getting ramped up again for uh, the 114 launch, which will be coming out here at the end of March. So with that, you know, a lot of time we spend uh, around this show and, and in the Kubernetes discussion sometimes are... A little more infrastructure-centric, a lot of the Kubernetes-centric stuff, container-centric stuff. And we don't always spend enough time talking about the actual applications that go uh, in containers on Kubernetes and get uh, orchestrated across the cloud. So today we're going to have a chance to do that. Very, very excited uh, to talk about a brand new technology that's coming out in the Java space. So very excited to have... uh, kind of old friend of the show and and maybe one of the hardest working men in this whole space, uh, Mr. Burr Sutter. Burr, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today. So, uh, Bert, you know, I, I mentioned that uh, I always look at you as, as one of the hardest working guys in the business. You're very focused around this interesting intersection of of Kubernetes, uh, cloud native application development, uh, long time history in the Java community. Kind of give folks a sense of of what you do on a regular basis, and and maybe more importantly, kind of what's your focus these days on trying to educate people and, and help them understand new technology patterns. Well, definitely my my area of focus, at least what I consider my personal mission and my team's mission within Red Hat, is to go out and talk to the world's enterprise software developers. When I say enterprise, I mean things like your your, your people working at big banks, your big healthcare, your big government, people who are you know building typical business applications and trying to run those applications in new, creative, clever ways. And that might involve like adoption of DevOps principles, and it might ad- involve uh, adopting container native technology, right, like a Kubernetes. And so we are really much, uh, very much focused on the intersection of, let's say, Java enterprise developers, because that's the majority of what you find in your big banks, your big healthcare, your big government, and then helping them run on containers and optimizing their application uh, applications for that, uh, let's say, container native space, that Kubernetes space, and really understanding that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, obviously you've been around the Java space for, for quite a while. Um, you're a Java champion. You've seen the evolution of Java from, you know, big sort of application server centric models to these new models. Um, give folks a sense just kind of over the last, if people aren't familiar with the Java space as much, I don't know, over the last five, six, seven years, like what have been some of the big trends that are, that are impacting those developers? And then what are some of the, the choices and trade-offs that they've been having to go through the last few years? Well, in the case of the Java development community, it's Java's been out there a long time. So a lot of people need to kind of remember that and also understand that we have all this amazing ecosystem within the Java community because it's been out there for 20 plus years. But at the same time, it has a little bit of baggage, right? We have kind of the old way of doing things, the the pre-cloud way of doing things is probably the best way to think of it because Java was born before there was enterprise Linux. Java was born before virtualization came into vogue on the server side. Java was born before containers were ever thought of and Java was born before the cloud was born. And so Java assumes that it owns the machine because it did back in the day. And therefore, it has some behaviors that are out of the box, not the best when it comes to running in a container or a container native environment. And so we've documented that before. We call that the Java Docker fail problem. You'll see blogs on it. Now it's fairly, fairly well known and the workarounds are very well known. But we have to think about that from a Java developer community. 
So the old way of thinking, which was we have a long running Java or JVM process that lives and breathes for weeks, if not months at a time. And more importantly, we load it up with multiple applications. So not just one monolithic application, maybe four or five monolithic applications. And that is the old way of doing things. We have to kind of evolve to this new way, uh, thinking in terms of containers where it's a single workload, a single application, maybe something more like a microservice as opposed to a ginormous uh, monolithic application. And that life cycle is no longer measured in months, but maybe, you know, days or even hours or minutes because it doesn't have to run for months at a time in a Kubernetes architecture because Kubernetes is doing its rolling updates. Kubernetes is doing things like rescheduling those things around different nodes. What if a node fails? You know, starting to live in that new way of thinking when it comes to this cloud native way. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a good starting point. And, and for anybody who's been listening to the show for a little bit or, or wants a little more depth of background, um, you know, I know you and your team had written up a, a pretty interesting write-up that basically said, uh, you know, Kubernetes is is becoming the new application server, and and it did a really good job of kind of highlighting these differences between, like you said, um, kind of the original assumptions that Java made about uh, you know the applications, how they're packaged, how it gets all of its services, and then how that begins to shift as. Kubernetes begins to offer some of those as platform things. So uh, for folks that are interested in that, uh, we'll put some things in the show notes. Also, uh, back in episode 55, we did a show that was very focused on Kubernetes as the new application server. So maybe go back and listen to that one as well. You'll get a sense of like, oh, okay, that when they talk about service discovery or they talk about uh, you know different ways of, of looking at restarts and other stuff, that's what these guys are talking about. You know, you highlighted that. You highlighted that things are changing. They're becoming more distributed. We've seen that in microservices. Uh, let's talk about about this this new thing, this Project Quarkus uh, that got announced uh, a week or so ago. Uh, what is it? Where, where does the name come from? And, and more importantly, like, what's it trying to do? What's it trying to solve? Yeah, the, the name, of course, is very, very interesting. You know, people are very excited about the name, even if it is a bit hard to pronounce at times. Uh, but the Quarkus comes from quark as in the subatomic particle, right? You know, there's three quarks in a, in a neutron kind of thing. And so therefore, it's incredibly tiny and make up, you know, the, the true essence of what the pieces that make up the universe kind of idea. And then us, us being the hardest part of software, us humans. So Quarkus was kind of a fun name that got put together. And our tagline, of course, is supersonic subatomic Java, which is actually a phrase I came up with to basically help define the space that we want to own when it comes to uh, Quarkus. And so really focusing on that ultra fast, ultra small, it's still Java though, it's just that it's completely optimized for running that more ephemeral container use case, where in that cloud use case where things aren't living for months at a time and you're not throwing a monolithic application on it that has to live for months at a time, you are thinking in terms of, oh, I got a CI/CD pipeline. I've got this container scheduler that's moving this thing around. Better yet, I have a serverless architecture where it only lives for maybe a few seconds at a time. Now we're starting to think about the, the use cases, if you will, where Quarkus really shines. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this, like you said, uh, uh, you know, container use cases where um, you, you want things to boot fast and, and they may not be around for a long time, potentially service and function use cases. And I just want to clarify one thing. I, I know, uh, obviously, both you and I both work for Red Hat, but this is very much uh, trying to be driven as a freely open uh, Java standard. There's nothing specific about this that is Red Hat. This is really just, um, you know, it is a community, new way of, uh, for the community to look at this, correct? A fully open source project. We certainly want the community to come and rally around this technology. And as a matter of fact, there's an aspect of Quarkus that's actually very important, important and that is only certain frameworks are allowed to run in this container native way, in this actual uh, native executable way. Because that's another aspect about Quarkus that we really focused on, and that is that in order to get that super small size and super small footprint, you actually compile down to native code. 
kind of like Go. So if you're familiar with the Go programming model, the Golang ecosystem, where people go, you know, compile it all down to native executable, that's what Quarkus does for Java. And so that's how you get that small footprint. But that does come with some trade-offs, and not every framework in the Java ecosystem can just automatically drag and drop over. There's some work that has to be done, and so we're definitely looking to engage the framework uh, ecosystem to help them get Quarkusized, or what we call Quarked. Gotcha. In many cases, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let, let's talk about at least the the fundamentals, the basic parts of it. Um, you know, I read, read through a very very good blog about this. Uh, kind of talked about three core pieces. Um, you know, the underlying technology, fast uh, startup times, smaller footprint, smaller memory. Kind of walk us through the core pieces of Quarkus for people that are trying to understand it. Okay. Well, one thing that right out of the gate, when it comes to the developer experience, which we're very focused on, is the concept that you can have both a um, integrated inter- imperative and reactive programming model. So it used to be you kind of had to trade off those two for each other in the Java ecosystem, right? I mean, you're all about reactive or you're all about imperative, less, an imperative meaning the traditional annotation-driven you know, uh, programmatic model where you can pr- pretty much just read through the code top to bottom versus the reactive model, which is kind of more like a Node.js programming model. So we've married those two, blended those two, so you get that out of the box, and that's actually nice for both your traditional uh, use cases. So your traditional cases like where you have a web application talking to an API, slamming that data into a relational database and getting it back out again. That's a very, very common, you know, if not 80% of what people do. And then the other being more of uh, streaming use cases or event-driven use cases where you actually have maybe a reactive programming model for, let's say, a Kafka stream that's coming in and you want to react to the data that's flowing through that stream. So, you know, the reactive programming model is useful uh, for multiple use cases, but it's often really nice for that event-driven style use case. And so all that's in there. And then we also have this great uh, dev mode, right? This live reload mode so that you can basically just set up your application, get an empty shell, if you will, of code, and then start writing code in there, hit save. So literally it's just type, 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 control S, go flip over to your browser with alt tab and then F5, right? Just refresh. And so that concept where you're just coding, you know, edit, save, refresh is an amazing enhancement to the Java ecosystem. We've had similar things like that before. And there was actually a very notable uh, commercial piece of software that people pay for to get that same capability. But now we found a, some really clever ways to make it just useful for everybody in, in that live uh, dev mode, right? So that that is a really nice feature uh, for just keeping developers super happy. And beyond and beyond just developer experience, though, all this does compile down to native, and that is a core tenet of what we focus on. So again, that small footprint, that fast startup time is super, super critical. We're looking at numbers that are 10x to 100x greater and faster and smaller than other platforms in the same space, certainly other Java solutions in this space. And actually in my demonstration, uh, when I show people these things side by side, like on Knative, you know, Knative being a serverless framework, if you will, on top of Kubernetes, I can show you that the Java-based application is actually smaller than the Node.js application. And that's pretty notable if you come from a Node.js background, right? You know, historically, Java's always been the biggest kid on the playground. And now we're smaller than Node.js and getting close to that Go footprint size. Interesting. Interesting. Now, talk to me a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'm not a Java programmer, but I've always heard about uh, the, the JVM, the Java uh, virtual machine, kind of the pros and cons of it and, and people's love and hate of it. What are what is some of this new stuff? What is this uh, Graal VM uh, that, that's part of uh, it's part of Quarkus? Yeah, so Graal VM is the uh, underlying technology that helps us get down to a native binary and native executable. And so Growl does a lot of things, um, but one of the things it has is this thing called Substrate specifically, and that allows us to truly get that compilation down, right? So literally get it all the way from regular Java code into the actual, you know, native executable code. And so 
the it is different than the just in time uh, compiler, the hotspot, right? That we were used to in the JVM. Uh, world. So there is no JVM here. And that's the thing that kind of is pretty cool about Quarkus is you can compile all the way down to native. Now, it should be noted that Quarkus supports both regular JVM mode, regular hotspot, if you will, as well as the native executable. Uh, but And you will find that both are faster, right? So even in hotspot mode in the JVM case, right, it's still faster, smaller than it was. But if you're truly trying to, uh, you know, really get every bit of uh, performance out of that thing, going all the way to native is helpful. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Let's talk about this in the real world. Um, you know, how does how do things change? So today, let's say I'm a uh, you know I'm, I'm a developer. I've got a uh, you know let's say a Spring application or something that today I, I put into a container. We see a lot of people doing that with Spring Boot and and other stuff. Um, you know, how how does that change uh, for for going forward with Quarkus? Like, can I start with an existing Java application, or am I sort of is this targeted more towards writing things from scratch or, you know, kind of walk me through now it exists day in the life of a Java developer, um, whether it's new or something that already existed that they had written. Yeah, that's, that's actually a very good question. Very good point. Cause right now Quarkus is still a, a very new thing and we focused on use cases from the very get go that are more greenfield development, right? So for you're building that next new microservice, that next new function as a service solution in that serverless architecture, or you're just simply building that next new, even monolithic application, but you want to leverage these new kind of capabilities to live in that container native world. Now, uh, you, you can bring a lot of your existing skills to the game and even some of your existing code. There's already been people who've actually blogged on the internet, uh, you know, based on the code base that they had, they were able to just pretty much drag and drop it over and make it run. So if you do adhere to, let's say, standards, let's say, uh, for like JAXRS is a perfect example, or JPA, uh, then those things pretty much do still work as expected. But we did have to make some changes and basically make some trade-off decisions based on what can truly compile down to native. Okay, so again, you know, you can, we have a JVM mode, we have a hotspot mode that works great. But we also want to hold the line at let's truly get every bit of performance out of this thing and make Java as fast and as small as things like Node.js and Go, in which case we had to make some trade-offs there. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, um, you know, if, if, I'm a, if I'm more of a Kubernetes and container person, I'm listening to this and I'm probably going, well, okay, um, you're still going to take the Java code. You're going to put it in your container like I did before, um, and Kubernetes is going to run it. Um, when we talk about it being kind of Kubernetes native, is it more around small footprint kind of optimized for microservices, fast restarts, or are there also some things in there that it now is smarter about understanding how, um, some of the things that Kubernetes does for service discovery, or it, it understands some of the deployment models. Is there a part of that that's in there, or is it really much more of the, you know, focus on fast reboots, uh, small footprint, kind of more container friendly? I think that's a, a very good question because uh, we, we've certainly had that debate internally. Exactly, you know, where is this even more container friendly and more Kubernetes native? And it's actually kind of funny because one of the things you'll see over the last couple of years, right, when I do all these presentations, I do a ton of uh, training classes uh, called Nine Steps to Awesome, which is a, a Kubernetes training class that I run for the O'Reilly folks with Safari Live. Uh, and I also do one on Istio and one on Knative as an example. So those are like three-hour deep dives. And one of the things we've been telling you for the last two or three years is based on the new things you see in Kubernetes, based on the new things you see in Istio and, and even newer still at Knative, there are all these things you don't do in the Java world that you might have done before because that's more Kubernetes native. So funny enough, being more Kubernetes native is often the absence of things. <laughs> like you don't need the old Netflix libraries as an example. 
that basically get service discovery to work or to get load balancing to work because those things are not part of Kubernetes. You don't actually have to have a very specialized logging solution or a very specialized monitoring solution because those are part of Kubernetes. And so it's almost the absence of things that make things more Kubernetes native now. So you, you will see that we basically assume there's a Kubernetes there that gives you those capabilities. We assume there's an Istio there that gives you service mesh capabilities with you know, really advanced, you know, let's say, canary rollout capability and also the addition, uh, addition of uh, observability, right, and all that built right into the infrastructure. And we focus just on the business logic side. Uh, that doesn't mean we can't add or we probably will add some additional capabilities over and above that. But right now, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, focusing just on your business logic and that serverless mindset is actually the best way to think of it. Just write your logic and we'll take care of the rest because the infrastructure is there. Yeah, no, I think, that's, I think we're beginning to see that more and more. We see some examples coming out of, of some really powerful ways of people thinking about using serverless and so forth. So having the the framework that's going to be best supported for that is really, really important. Um, so if I'm, a, if I'm a developer, for example, I'm listening to this and I'm going, okay, Burr, cool. Um, this sounds cool. I, I like Java. I know Java. I want to use this. What are you finding are some of the best early ways for people to engage, uh, whether that's you know going out and getting the code or some uh, community and Slack locations that maybe people are, are talking about it? What's the, what's the best starting point for developers? Well, we're hoping people go to the website, quarkus.io, and right from the very get-go, you'll see that there's a big getting started button right there that'll tell you exactly how to get started and how to get it running on your local machine. You will need to install the Growl VM to get that on your local machine so you have the ability to compile down to native. Uh, so we do look for that. We do want that there. Uh, so that might be the trickiest part of the installation experience. But otherwise, you still use Java. You still use whatever your favorite IDE is. You still use Maven. Uh, a lot of our capabilities right now are implemented through our Maven plug plugin. So use Maven, and there's also a Grado option. But that lets you get started right, starting writing code the way you've always done it, right? If, again, if you're familiar with the annotation way of writing Java code, where you basically say, look, this is a get or a put or a post, right, on these endpoints, so they are restful. And here's how I talk to the database through a typical hibernate-like behavior. Again, that JPA-like you know, behavior. All that just works. So you can basically start putting it, you know, adding that to your code right away. And with that live dev mode, that live reload mode, you basically are seeing it change in real time, which is really awesome. And then you can um, you just look at our quick starts and our guides. We have numerous guides on the website right now and quick starts in the GitHub repo. You can just get clone those and basically just run one of those demo applications, run it, you know, compile it down to native, uh, build your Docker file uh, when actually we have a Docker file generator for you. And then you can actually just wrap it with your deployment YAML, your service YAML, toss it into Kubernetes and see what the difference is. I mean, that's what I show people a lot in my presentations. And if you're in a Knative world, right, you have one YAML. Well, it's just a Knative service YAML. Just toss that in and boom, you're running in a Knative way on top of Kubernetes. And so there's is it really, we do think we nailed the getting started experience as well as we could with this first release. We want feedback from people. And if you could uh, join us on Zulip, if you'll see that we actually have this special chat application called Zulip that people can just start real-time chat with us. And then, of course, there's other questions you can ask out on Stack Overflow and pretty much find us on Twitter. And any way you can find us, we pretty much are accepting all comers at this point with all possible inputs. Very cool. Very, very cool. Listen, uh, you know, like you said, highlighting, I, I know you spend a ton of time going, you know, how do I get in developers' heads? How do I think about making it simpler? And so you guys focusing on simplicity, that first experience is, is really, really important. Um, really, really good to see that that being the focus maybe as opposed to, you know, super, super deep dives of things that uh, will evolve over time for people. Um, 
Burr, with that, I, I know you do a ton of stuff. Uh, I know you do a ton for communities. You're doing a lot that's you know people can just join in. What are some of the things that um, you and and uh, your sort of team of, of five or six ninjas? What are you guys working on for the next couple of months that people can uh, you know go consume or go learn from and uh, get smarter about this stuff? Well, we have uh, like there's actually two primary documents we keep up to date online. You'll see my team work on, and, and actually this is part of what I teach through the Riley Safari Live system, right through this online training, and that is the Istio tutorial. So it's the Bitly Istio dash tutorial, right? You can go there and see all you want to know about Istio running on your local mini shift, as an example. And then we have the Knative tutorial now, so Bitly Knative, you know, dash tutorial walks you through all the different Knative scenarios, so you can kind of see how those play, and that of course runs on Minikube. And so we basically are very focused on those two large documents, which are like books by themselves, that define the experience and how to get started with ISTE or Knative. And we assume most people who come to us actually have some understanding of Kubernetes at this point. And then, you know, we all, but I also teach like an introductory class to that. And then once you have those basics in place, like the infrastructure basics, then you can use Quarkus to build out your Java-based application. Of course, you can use Go or Node or C Sharp or anything else you want, but you know, our team likes to focus on the Java ecosystem. And then you're also going to see us look at uh, something called Camel K. I'm not sure if you've had a conversation about that yet. Have, nope. have you guys had Camel K yet? No, nope, not yet. But I know it's uh, I know it's it's starting to evolve around the Knative space. So exciting stuff. Yeah, very cool. And I'm very excited about that. And so you actually will see that in the Knative world, there's an event source out there now for Camel. Uh, there's the Camel K command line tool. And it's essentially basically making integration as a first class citizen, as a CRD even, in the Kubernetes space. So you can basically say, hey, connect my S3 bucket over here to X, Y, and Z, connect it to Salesforce over there, connect it to another S3 bucket over here, and just simply route all that logic through there and deploy that as a regular deployment, if you will, or deploy that as a Knative service, which scales up, up and down automatically. So that's another area we're very much focused on. And you will see that already in our current Knative tutorial. We already have a chapter on that one topic. Very cool. Yeah, no, we uh, we need to do some more deep dives on Knative. I know it's uh, it's evolved quite a bit since some of the early stuff we did last year. And and I mean, most importantly, you know, getting a function to run in Kubernetes, that's all nice and, and good. But, you know, getting all those event sources uh, integrated, getting them to run properly is really probably the most important part of, of getting functions to be really, really uh, powerful. So good stuff. We'll have to definitely dig into that. And we'll put some sh- stuff in the show notes if you guys want to dig into that before, uh, before we talk about it someday uh, down the road. Well, Burr, listen, I know you're a very busy man. Uh, I want to thank you so much for all the time today. We will get all of these references into the show notes for folks that are listening. Uh, very exciting stuff in the, in the enterprise space. It's good to see innovation happening. It's good to see innovation happening around Java, given all the millions of Java developers that are out there. And uh, folks, with that, we're going to thank Burr for his time. Uh, thanks for everybody who talks to the show, gives us feedback, uh, rates it on iTunes, and uh, has been telling a friend about the show. So with that, thank you very much, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podcontrol.com. P-O-D-C-T-L or at PodControl on Twitter. We'll talk to you again next week.